0: Eight forty seven is three sixty-six
1: and seven. Hello and welcome to a score to settle, a podcast about movie and TV music. I'm your host, Brian McVicker. Each episode I focus on music composed for film and television whether through analyzing a specific score, taking a deep dive into a particular composer's career, or by way of interviews with guests, both those in the industry and also fellow fans. Happy New Year to all my listeners, welcome to 2023, and I hope this will ultimately emerge as a stellar year for everyone out there. In this inaugural episode of the New Year, I am accompanied once again by popular soundtrack album producer and editor, Neil S. Bolk in what has become a perennial, entertaining, and often inside-baseball type of discussion. Neil and I will recap his standout projects from the prior year, in this instance 2022, for the venerable soundtrack record labels La La Land Records, Quartet Records, and Varese Sarabande. As always, I appreciate when Neil can spend time to share the details and experiences on these albums. How are you feeling today, Neil?
2: I am fine, thanks. I'm I'm happy to go inside baseball with you.
1: Awesome, yeah. I like to get the the inside baseball, the inside track. Uh that's also. I guess that could be a pun. Uh, inside, the inside
2: track. <laughs> oh man, you know you need you need to now start a second show.
0: Yeah, that's called
2: the true. inside track. <laughs> and you'll have a whole you'll have a whole podcast empire of clever titles
1: oh uh, why did i never think of that uh to begin inside
2: with tra- well t- tonight uh, today's episode is the inside track this is the this debut is episode track. of inside track a a score to settle podcast story
1: yes and then if i did a star trek podcast i can call it inside Trek.
2: oh that's already been done hasn't it
1: oh you're probably right yeah,
2: yeah I there's
1: imagine. plenty of star trek podcasts out there
2: what about inside war uh it doesn't
1: really make sense <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, how do you feel about 2022? Do you feel like the you liked all the projects you worked on? Was it the same? Do you feel like it was the that you were as busy as you were in 2021 and, and so on?
2: 2022 was actually busier than most years. Um, in addition to the soundtrack work that we're going to discuss today and all those albums, mm-hmm. I had a whole other project going on with Bruce Botnick. Um, that hasn't been released um, okay it's, it's not coming from traditional sources so um, I don't know what I can say what I can't say when it's coming uh, I don't know any of that but I just can tell you I was very very busy last year so okay. while while all these projects were going on there was a whole other thing going on
1: <laughs> that's a good thing I did you know I didn't know if you feel like was there you know you know you and I've talked the last few years during pandemic how things changed mm-hmm. but it was mainly like the practical side of getting elements and 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 not having the interaction with you know being in those space the studio spaces and such um but i guess the amount of work didn't change so much
2: yeah not so much and this year uh last year um i did actually go to to a facility when we pulled in uh one of the titles we'll get to it Mm -hmm. i don't want to you know i want people to listen oh he's already talking about that one and I, i i had to go through the tapes and i got to go to a facility and uh, and and go through and make my notes and say, here's what I want transferred. And, and OK, so, um, I think uh, that was in April, May of last year. And, you know, I was, you know, wearing a mask and, you know, most of the people weren't. And I was just like, oh, I hate you all.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, just so I guess we don't have to talk around albums you worked on and such, I guess we can go ahead and jump right into the hey, ask away.
2: I'm I'm happy to chat about them.
1: I would like to talk about uh, the quartet releases, if that's all right. If sure. we just start with, you know, uh, I believe you worked on, uh, you produced uh, the, the LP set of Jerry Goldsmith's three uh, scores for the Rambo series. And you also worked uh, on the Mary Queen of Scots uh, mm-hmm. album from, for John Barry. So um, the Rambo LP set. <laughs> What can you tell, as? what can you reveal as far as when did that begin and and how long, you know, of a project that was going on? I feel like that
2: kind of started in 2021 and and Jose reached out to me and he said, hey, we're gonna do Rambo 3 on vinyl. And I have to admit, I went kind of film score monthly for a second in my reply, which might've not been the coolest thing, which was great. What about Rambo 2? (laughs) only because there was something I wanted to address on Rambo 2 that I thought we could do on LP which was the title of two tracks Gunboat and River Crash If you look at the cue sheet for Rambo 2 they, they, they have you know the river, they have river crash followed by the gunboat. But if you watch the movie and look at the manuscript, gunboat comes first. And it <laughs> makes sense because they go they running and they see the gunboat and that's the end of the queue. And mm-hmm. then the gunboat crashes on the river, a river crash. And previous releases had those titles matching the queue sheet. But the queue sheet was was not correct it, when you looked at the manuscript and you actually watch the movie went, oh yeah so uh, that that was the one that was what i wanted to do to rambo 2 i just want to put rambo <laughs> 2 out on vinyl and swap those titles <laughs> that, was, that was my uh contribution i thought what, what wound up happening was studio canal was fine with doing all three and uh so i think i, I swear i think that started in 2021 um, and then the element search uh, commenced for a long time and it was our friends at Entrada, Doug Fake and Roger Feigelson, mm-hmm. who uh, had their material and had their mixes and were gracious enough to provide them for the release and then i, I went through because I still needed to be edited and uh, and and matched and no decisions needed to be made. Um, so I, I got to go through with that material and uh, and make a new playlist which is pretty you know is it still in sequence like the intro? So mm-hmm. it's pretty much the same thing. There are a few a few differences here and there. Uh, if, if if for the real, real, real completists, uh, I'll reveal here, give mm-hmm. you an, a show exclusive. <laughs> woohoo Have the sirens go off in your sound effects <laughs> now. You know. I'm going to give you Brian, uh huh, the inside track. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Plug. <laughs> yeah, there it is. Um, there is an end title for the film that Jerry comp- for Rambo Three that Jerry composed. That's not used. That is a a tradition of the Rambo films. He he would write an end title and he would never use it. That goes back to First Blood. That goes back and then Rambo 2, famously. Mm -hmm. And then Rambo 3 also had an end title that wasn't used. We had two takes of it, but absolutely no reference. Which one to use, right? So Entrada used one take and I was like, okay, fine, I'm gonna put another one on the vinyl. I have no idea (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so if, if you get the vinyl, you're actually going to get a different take of the Rambo 3 end title.
1: You must own both. So
2: yeah, if, if you're a goldsmith completist, you now have to hunt it down. Get there are a few other changes too. There was one cue... Where uh it's an early queue. I can't let me give me a second, I will look at my Rambo three C D and I'll tell
1: you what it is. I actually
2: bought the original Rambo three C D.
1: Oh, from Scotty Brothers? The Scotty
2: Brothers album oh. because it has, you know, some goldsmith cues on here.
1: Yeah.
2: And I think I think it's the cue another time. Uh-huh. Um this has an album version. And on the sound on the new vinyl version, I have
1: the film take. So it's a little different. Um, wow, I did not Interesting. So then what did Entrata use on there? They they stuck with the album. Okay. Okay. That's also really cool to know. I didn't, I did not notice that.
2: It's it's so subtle. Yeah. It was one of those, like I have it. Let's do something a little different. You know, Uh, we don't have any of the bonus tracks that are on the CDs. So, I mean, so you still, you still have to hold on. You know, you have to hold on. You have, you need, you need both to get the full, complete Rambo picture.
1: I, it's great because I mean I'm someone who I actually really like the album versions of of you know these scores but what's what I noticed especially playing first blood is how well it plays as sort of a two-sided LP. Mm-hmm. Um, I always really liked the album edits that Goldsmith did um you know putting those shorter cues together but I realized in playing the LP through how it plays really symphonically in a way and how it develops. Um, so I had never really appreciated that before the LP, honestly. Oh, that's cool to hear. Yeah,
2: because I, I knew I knew you were a devotee of the uh, yes. of the of the album assembly.
1: Yes, I, I I know it sounds really strange, but like you know, First Blood and, and Outland I think are, are two that I think of of Goldsmith's album versions that I think play better than the film versions in sequence in some mm-hmm. ways. Um, but I really, for the first time, appreciated really listening to First Blood in chronological order. Because of the LP. Oh, cool. Yeah. Now, you, I guess, coming into it as a fan, I guess, or not quite as much of a fan, was there any reassessment for you just aesthetically or just from your own, you know, listening enjoyment to any of the three Rambo scores?
2: Yeah, so certainly the first one. It's one of those things. I had the same thing with the Blue Max. The Blue Max never connected with me. But then, you know, maybe it's Florence Nightingale syndrome. You just work on it so much or you're, you're, whatever it is. You're, maybe not Florence Nightingale. What's the... uh Stockholm Syndrome? Stockholm Syndrome. That's what it is. Where it's like, <laughs> I, I, I got so used to it. I love it now. I'll let you know something else about this project. Yeah. Part of the part of the element search, um, which ultimately led to Entrada helping us out. Um, at the same time, in a very strange twist that was unrelated, a friend of mine, Cliff Stevenson, who is a, a producer who works on a lot of Lionsgate films, uh, reached out to me, and he was telling me, you know, he was interested in maybe finding material for First Blood Part Two, music material. And creating a new mix for the movie
0: because mm-hmm.
2: it turns out the six-track film mix that was used on 70 millimeter prints is missing.
0: Hmm. And
2: I was like, "Well, boy, but, like the DVDs and Blu-rays and 4Ks have a five-one track on there. What did they use?" He's like, "Well, it's kind of mono and sort of spread." I was like, "Really?" He's like, "Yeah, listen to it. It's terrible." <laughs> so, so I put it on. I'm like, "Oh my gosh, he's right. It is terrible." I, I have to admit, I don't really watch the films that often, and it never clicked with me. I was like, "Boy, this." This, I think it was Oscar nominated and it, it sounds lousy.
0: Huh.
2: So I was like, well, I, I'm, I'm looking for material. You're looking for material. Maybe we can look for material together. And I said, you know, try looking here for First Blood Part 2. Maybe maybe something will turn up. And sure enough, it did. Um, we never found any music material, but we did find the six track mix for the film. I got to hear it a few months ago and uh, it was terrific <laughs> and it will be coming out at some point on 4k this year. Cliff's, That's what uh, I was
1: I was going to mention. I was like, I remember reading it and I think yeah. it probably was thanks to one of your posts that yeah, Cliff, uh, led me down that. Cliff
2: is uh, doing a deep dive on the Rambo films and is turning over every stone uh, to make this uh, release uh, spectacular. And, uh, you know, from what I heard, from you know, just a quick, you know, quick day at, on the dubbing stage, it was like, oh my gosh, this mm. is, this is night and day better because we could compare them and just like, yeah. So. Wow.
1: I'm looking so, yeah, forward so to hearing that. And But also as far as the LP project, I mean, um, if, if my podcast had a YouTube element, I could show the, the LP because I mean, it is an incredibly, like, handsomely made package. I mean, it's, it's just gorgeous.
2: It is gorgeous. I think it's the most gorgeous thing I've been involved with. It's certainly up there. Um, yeah. I, I didn't, I, you know, and i reviewed the packaging and I had PDFs, but I never could put it together. I knew that I knew the sleeves were going to be the Casaro art. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I knew that, but the box, um, for whatever reason, I thought that the LPs were just going to slide in. I didn't expect it to have a lid. Mm-hmm. I didn't expect it to have that, you know, that satin ribbon <laughs> on the inside. I was like, oh my God, this is the most luxurious uh, thing. It's terrific.
1: Oh, it's, it's amazing. I'm, I'm happy to have it in my collection and, and have it on display.
2: And believe it or not, we finally got Jeff
1: Bond to write about the Rambo films. Which, when I think he might have even posted about it, I kept thinking he had. I'm like, how did that not happen? Was i whole, was so happy to have his notes.
2: That was the whole point for doing the release.
1: Yeah, it's it's absolutely a, a great achievement for, uh, you know, uh, for you from last year. So well, thank uh, you, major, major kudos on that release. Yay.
2: And Mary Queen of Scots,
1: Mary Queen of Scots, uh, which again was uh, the last release of that I bought was the Entrada mm-hmm. album. And so what did you bring to the table on on this one from Quartet? Uh,
2: we found more of the score. It's it's a missing score, unfortunately. Um, there's the album Master, which Entrada released and then Quartet also included on their album. But the actual scoring. Masters are missing. So, what we wound up using was a combination. We were able to present the full score as it is from the film stem. We had a music stem, but we also had a newly discovered quarter inch, which wasn't the entire score, but was a decent amount of the score that we could you know, use that in addition to the stem. If we go to combine the two, we'd wind up with. The full score and it all fits on one CD. It's <laughs> like I'm a 79-minute album.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean that
2: again. Back to
1: the gills. Yeah, I yeah.
2: No, I was just really happy to to, to be involved with that one because I love John Barry.
1: Oh my gosh, yeah. I, I I mean I celebrate any of his releases. Which again, I'm like I have to I have it written down to come back to talk about Chaplin. Sure. Um, but that was another one I only was aware of the album release. And again, so fascinating to hear the full score and have it sort of unfold. You know, and and you're you're getting more of it end to end and just to hear the way he threads his themes throughout the entire score is awesome um and the sound I thought was really fantastic yeah for, it's
2: for you know Chris Malone uh did the restoration for the stem and you know quarter inch mono tape that we had and and we all couldn't believe it. we're like oh, the sounds you know you you hear stem and you so you go uh- oh but this one came through okay and and uh I can't remember if we ever Determined when it was actually recorded, but you can tell that it's right around "Diamonds Are Forever" because there are times where it does sound like Diamond. You know, they're they're similar. Like, oh yeah, yeah, I love it.
1: So make a segue, a John Barry segue, to, over to Chaplin. If we wanted to move to the La La Land releases, you know, I I try to keep it as musical a segue as I can. Sure. Um. So, but Chaplin also was like the most recent thing that you worked on that's out. Mm-hmm. Um. So, uh, again, this is another score that it's it's interesting. The '90s haven't really, other than Dances with Wolves, there's not too much attention paid to to John Barry's work in the '90s. Um, so yeah. this was, I don't think, I feel like yeah. the releases that have his, his scores, cause I went to look at what else he would, he did in the nineties and he had like a bunch of rejected scores and stuff like, uh, the specialist and Mercury specialist. rising and, and sweat yeah. from the sea, but like none of them have had any sort of deluxe editions, And so it's really great that you guys kind of brought this to light. were you familiar with the Chaplin score at all
2: not at all and i was actually very surprised when we did announce it because i obviously very happy with the album john burley games happy with the album uh you know we all we're all thrilled with it but i had no idea what the the fan reaction was going to be for it and it was great to see so many people excited for the release because i was like okay i thought this might be a little you know niche thing but People are very excited about Chaplin, and, and the response has been terrific. And I, I'm thrilled. I'm like, great! <laughs> I'm so happy. It was, it was a joy to work on. Yeah, I had stereo deaths. Her, i had the album master i had uh you know scoring sessions and and it was great to just sit down and put it all together and figure out what's what i kept getting confused uh because there's a track on it called joan barry trouble and i kept yes. thinking is that john barry trouble and i just
1: I, uh, I i looked at that as well and i'm like what
2: <laughs> yeah i know i uh, every time i see it i go i am confused i'm very confused i'm easy to confuse anyway and and that uh <laughs> that still boggles my i like, wait, well, no, this is right. It's right. It's
1: right. <laughs> well, and I know for, for that one, it's like the album has a couple of special, again, sort of like smaller tracks, I think, grouped together, mm-hmm. I guess, or maybe some edited versions. So there were there surprises? Like, like did he sort of micro edit some of those cues to fit them into the, the tracks?
2: No, but he did use some early versions okay. on the album. So there were some cues that were revised. That okay. I have in the main sequence. And then the last three tracks on the album are album suites. Mm-hmm. So that could be, you know, I broke them up to keep to maintain sequence. Or, you know, to include a film version where he had used an earlier alternate, that sort of thing. But okay. he, yeah, he didn't necessarily uh, shorten anything.
1: I can tell you but though. Even just from the samples, the sound quality is phenomenal on your version.
2: Oh, it's a terrific Sean Murphy recording.
1: It's, I mean, elevates the material. It's like, oh my gosh, the spaciousness and the bass just with headphones on from the original album to just those, your version, is, is incredible.
2: Yeah, because that, that Murphy in that era had a lot of low-end stuff going on. It was good.
1: There's a lot more variety in that score than I recalled or was, I mean, aware of in terms of like the, the sort of period piece, you know, whether it's like the early movie scoring style, mm-hmm. you know, and then it's like the, the Chaplin pieces that are sort of brought in that, that Chaplin composed. Chaplin is such an interesting part of Barry's, you know, career at that point, because I feel like he's still riding the Dances the Wolves high. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he gets that Oscar nomination. But then after that, I just kind of feel like he just went through a period of getting scores rejected or it was. I don't know, for films, people just didn't see.
2: Yeah, he he uh, I think as an artist, he wasn't. You know, you, you you think John Barry and you think of, you know, classic Bond or. Somewhere in time, and as an artist, he was evolving well beyond that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I guess the ultimate expression of this is the Incredibles.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, I mean, the, the teaser was scored with "On Her Majesty's Secret Service," and like, the, like the guy who wrote that doesn't write that way anymore. Yeah, I don't think he could write that way anymore. Yeah, and so I think there was an expectation that hey we got john barry we're going to get this and he's on a whole other level musically and so it's terrific though i love john barry so
0: oh my that. gosh <laughs>
1: I, yeah i i love him for the fact that he did change you yeah. know and and that you know he's got the different periods that you can sort of dive into i don't think that's a terrible thing i think it's great for him and goldsmith and williams and some of the other long-term composers sure I don't need them to keep writing like it's 1978.
2: No, not at all. I, yeah. That would probably get tiring for us as listeners as it is for them to, you know,
1: yeah. be on repeat. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, I, you know, let's, if we can stick with the La, La Land catalog. Um, another, another release. I, I was not familiar with this score at all. I, uh, I didn't, I never purchased it. Never even saw the movie uh, was How the Grinch Stole Christmas by James Horner. So I wasn't aware of any of its history or what went into its scoring process, process or the songs or anything like that. Was this a new one for you as well? Uh,
2: absolutely. Um, as a Jewish person without any Christmas spirit, uh, (laughs) I I tend not to watch holiday films because (laughs) it's it's not my holiday. (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, so, but the project came up, um, I was excited to do it. Um, it, it had been, mistakenly, I had, I had been told that there was no soundtrack album. But in fact, there was a soundtrack album. And I was like, well, but they, it's its songs. I'm like, well, there's 40 minutes of Horner on here. It's half the score. <laughs> <laughs> so um, uh, I was excited to work on it. It was daunting. There was a lot of material, but I was able to pare it down pretty efficiently by mm-hmm. the producer. <laughs> and doing producing stuff, mm-hmm. and uh, it was gratifying to, to get to work on that and, and make such a such a good album. You know, at first I thought, "Geez, this is going to be really easy." There is an Oscar promo out there that. If I take that, combine it with the original album, I should be able to match takes and get this done very quickly. But it turns out the Oscar promo didn't use a single right take, as far as I could tell. I didn't get very far into it.
0: Uh-huh.
2: <laughs> I just got far enough to go. This will never work, and it's a waste of time to even <laughs> even figure it out. So um, I wanted, you know, I wanted the proper film takes.
1: Was that a situation way. where there were post-production? any like in terms of like cues swapped or edited down uh
2: Uh, not not particularly not not that i found on this it was just a matter of in this era this was the uh this was digital recording and this they were at a point where they might record a cue four or five times i don't know just record it they'd circle one Mm -hmm. but they would bounce all over the place in terms of take selection so I, you know, to get a final performance would require all sorts of takes to, to get it through. Mike Matt Mattisino is really the master of doing this with the Williams projects. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess what happened with the Oscar promo was they just took one take. They, they didn't bother doing editing, any editing. They just took that take and said, here, nominate us. Cause musically it's correct. Yeah, right music, but it may not be the performance that's artist-approved, and so uh, getting to, to go through it, and it, it's maddening at times, but it, it worked out okay, I think.
1: Yeah, I think dealing with the inserts, anything that had to be you know done on the stage, um, that is massively difficult, I can imagine. Mm-hmm. And that's another one. It's funny because it kind of reminded me a little bit of, not musically at all, but the Mr. Mom album, um, which has music incorporated from chariots of fire or Patton and things like that and then in grinch it's the same he's pulling from other sources and chariots of
2: fire yeah yeah like chariots of fire which (laughs) was out you know it was recorded that way that was recorded for the film Uh it wasn't like that wasn't just a needle drop that was the performance
1: To incorporate, I guess, you know, the songs from the original 60s mm-hmm. uh, animated special as well, uh, which makes crediting the cues difficult, I would imagine.
2: <laughs> we had some back and forth about uh, Mike and I did on the inclusion of You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch. Um, I don't think you can do a Grinch album without it. We, it was just a matter of where do you put it. And I was like, uh, I know it has nothing to do with the rest of the score, but. I think it. I think it belongs in sequence. It's
0: yeah.
2: Just, story-wise, you're all you're. That's where you're headed, and then everything that comes after it is a direct result of that. So you sort of had to. You needed that, even though I know it's, not by Horner and doesn't anything to do with the rest of the score.
1: With this coat and this hat, i look just like Saint Nick. Ho ho
0: ho! You're a mean one. Mr. Grinch. You really are a heel. You're as cuddly as a cactus and as charming as an eel, Mr. Grinch. Grinch.
2: You're a bad banana with a greasy black
0: peel.
1: It's interesting because also the, the actress who plays the uh, Cindy Lou Who, uh, I guess, was inspired enough by working with Warner uh, on her song for the movie that she now has her own career uh, as sort of a, a punk rock and, and sort of a punk rock. Oh, that's fame. fantastic. Yeah. So, and she she apparently, uh, according to Wiki, I guess, or no, according to the liner notes, I'm like, wait, when I read this. <laughs> it was in your liner notes. It was in the album liner notes that she credits James Horner for starting her singing career. That's
2: great.
1: Yeah. The Grinch preceded, I think, the Black Friday set. Um, So, you know, we wanted
2: wanted to be sure people had it in time for the holiday season. So it came out a little bit early.
1: Makes total sense. You got to plan ahead. Uh, But your Black Friday releases were stellar. And it was, you know, I guess a massive success uh, for La La Land, which is fantastic. What a year. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Congrats to you and everyone at La La Land. (laughs) Well, thank you. Um, now, everyone who, you know, is a fan of Lawland and fan of your work will have their own particular favorite uh, album from the set uh, from 2022 from Black Friday. Uh, for me, it wound up being Tomorrow Never Dies. Uh, oh, was what really? I th- yeah. Is that strange? No,
2: <laughs> no it's, it was a very popular release.
1: I mean, it's one of those that again, highly requested, not guaranteed. Um, I think it's fantastic that you and David Arnold continue to work together. Great, you do great work together. Can you, t- you know, talk to anything about difficulties uh, with Tomorrow Never Dies or was it highly delayed? How did that come together?
2: Absolutely no difficulties, believe it or not. Once it got going, I got an email one night that from MGM that had gone to MV and it was forwarded to me. He was like, you can go ahead and start on this. And so I was like, fantastic. I reached out to David and said, we got to go ahead to start on this album. And I saw a list of elements and they were called in. That's where I went to the facility to look at the tapes because there were a ton of dats and a lot of redundancy.
0: Hmm. So
2: I didn't need them all transferred. So I was able to whittle it down to here's, here's what I need transferred and they did it very quickly not bad for a company called Post Haste they uh, they, they, <laughs> they put the haste in Post Haste so, so that was great um, and that was um, the fourth project I've done with David Arnold was the third Bond film so I, I really know now the methodology of putting those scores together you know way they recorded them and, you know, engineered them and organized them, you know, 20 years ago, 25 years ago. I understand the process. So putting that together, it was a ton of material, ton, ton, ton of material. But I actually was able to get through it pretty quickly. First of all, we had the isolated score. okay, And that is a terrific reference because I don't have to worry about dialogue. I don't have to worry about sound effects. All I have to worry about is the volume going up and down, but I can, I can compensate for that. And I can match the performances to that, and and it's a terrific reference. And I got, I was surprised at how quickly once I got everything organized, once I labeled every every take and every cue and what I, I might need cue that's CUE, not the letter Q, James mm-hmm. Bond. Um, <laughs> I, I was able to, you know, relatively quickly uh, get it together. There, we we had to go. I had to go back and week a few things motorcycle chase was very difficult uh performance wise
1: multiple um, inserts multiple takes. yeah a
2: few inserts i mean and sometimes you know right where they go because you're like well the brass is flub, they just flub that you know that that got they they read that but
1: the ending was was a
2: challenge but yeah, no, it worked out fine i was really really happy with it uh the the thing that gave me the gave me the most worry was the alternate katie lang song the opening for surrender Oh. As soon as I heard it, I was in love with it. Mm -hmm. And I knew that was the end of the album. I just needed it approved. Your life is a story. Um, Yeah. I know exactly where I was the first time I heard White Knight. Um, Oh, yeah. Bought the CD, and I was sitting in my car, and I didn't even get past the gun barrel. (laughs) Didn't get past. I was like, oh, my God, I got to hear that again. (laughs) You know. So that, that that I mean, this was a score I knew pretty well. I struggled with. I didn't know. I didn't know what it was going to be like. I didn't know what the final playlist was going to be like, uh, and I was really struggling with White Knight because, as far as I'm concerned, you don't mess with White Knight. <laughs> White Knight is is perfect, mm-hmm. and I think anybody who loves White Knight has White Knight imprinted on their brain, yeah. so that any deviation would stand out, and then it would be you know. Boy, that would be, I wouldn't want to deal with that. Right. But we had, I knew we had the alternate opening to White Knight, the original opening to White Knight. But then there was also like 28 extra frames at the end at one point that were snipped out of the album. Oh. And I was like, well, where do I put that? uh, Fortunately, it was fine to, to stick with the, uh, Cause I was like, I can't, do I, do I put it extended for, do I open the album with white night extended version because of these 28 frames that are <laughs> <laughs> like, oh people. And then, But then I have to include the album version and I gotta have the, it's like, it was a whole thing. And it was a whole decision-making but I was Like, do I really want that on here three times? So I have room for this on here three times. Did people want, and I was like, ultimately we stuck with the album edit of white night, which is fine because the, the, the cue is edited distractingly at times in the film. Yeah. Uh I, you know to, to get back to White Knight being imprinted on our brains it was imprinted on my brain when I saw it opening day first show december 19th 1997 and there is a cut right in the you know uh right in the music uh where it, it cuts back to Russia it goes da mm-hmm. but the whole build up you know It's like, where is that? (laughs) I don't know what that music goes to. What's supposed to be happening here? But I knew in the theater when I saw that first show, because I'd had the album a month already, I'm like, wait, stuff's missing. What's going on here? You know, that was a a movie that, you know, they they recorded it when they had material to score. It was a very rushed production to to hit their deadline. And there's a ton of editing (laughs) in that score. There's a lot of shortened bits and pieces all over. So it was...
1: And it seemed like it wasn't something where David Arnold was brought on late because, like, he was replacing someone or anything like no. that. It, it was just sort of a rushed production.
2: It was it was the production they had it release date.
1: That, that's a common thing. Yeah, but I mean, it's incredible what he did with that amount of time. I mean, that's he really right. was like there was like no second guessing. It was you go with your gut on scoring it, and that's what's on film. That's what's recorded. And I imagine with all the material you said you had, it was not just alternates and early versions, but I guess orchestra and electronics that might've been. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I don't want to get too much into this because then they'll be like, Hey, I want this now. And it's like, no. (laughs) Uh,
1: Sorry for the question. (laughs)
2: No, it's fine. It's fine. But yes, um, I tend to stick with the final mixes. There were instances where you would have orchestra only. I've heard backseat driver Mm -hmm. with just the orchestra. It's not that interesting. OK, you need the you, it's written to have the electronics. You need to have the electronics. So, you know, it's just the orchestra going through. Not the most exciting thing.
1: Yeah, it, it's like having a karaoke version of a song. It's, like, you know? it's like something else has the melody. It's like right. vocal is supposed to be part of the, it's you know, with the. It's supposed to be
2: part of it. You know, that's why I'm sort of resistant to uh, instrumental versions of songs. Now, had had I not been able to get the alternate surrender mm-hmm. on there, yes, I probably would have closed the album with an instrumental version. Okay. Of the song, um, but that was sort of like the plan. That was the plan B. Okay. Like, and it would have been like, yeah, isn't it? It's nice. It's nice, but it's not <laughs> that alternate opening. is a real, it was a real find.
1: Well, I mean, and I, you know, obviously that what comes up in fan circles every time there is a new expanded Bond album is when's the next expanded Bond yep. album. And I know that there's never any promise of another, that James Bond will return in La La Land. <laughs> <laughs> Look, so. I, would,
2: I would love to do it. I was very optimistic when I, when we did tomorrow, when, oh, excuse me, when we did Die Another Day, I titled the the unused end credit song. I think I gave it the title. James Bond will return.
1: Yes. Yeah.
2: Sort of like, but you have to understand every time we do one of these, that's it. There is no plan. Mm -hmm. Do we want to do more? Absolutely. We love James Bond. I love James Bond. I would love to work on more James Bond. I think it'll happen at some point, but as of now, it is not happening. (laughs) Uh, Unfortunately, there is no James Bond for me in the pipeline. Oh wait, that was worlds not enough.
1: (laughs) Well, I appreciate all the information on the background on that one. Yeah,
2: yeah. So that yeah, so that was a it was a. I was I was thrilled. I remember I remember getting the email, and I just walked. It was like ten o'clock at night or something, and I just walked out and said, "Oh, Marie, I just got Marie's my wife," and I said, "Oh, I just got another project." She's like, "Oh yeah, like yeah, it's tomorrow never dies."
1: (laughs) And she's like, "You thought you were done, and they pulled you back in." That's a segue, isn't it? (laughs) yeah is that a segue that is that is a segue over to godfather (laughs) i see i'm trying to make these work that was that was brilliant subtle As far as, you know, working on Godfather, is that another, is that a prominent project for you? You know, film title, score, you know, cinema history, is that, is that, what, where does that rank for you?
2: Well, like probably everybody else who's seen the movie, it's one of my favorites, right? Right. You know, I have, I have very fond memories of watching the Godfather films at multiple times, maybe snowed in a day. what are you gonna do you're gonna watch the godfather because you're not going anywhere and you need something to sink Mm. your teeth into i saw the trilogy one time in the theater with my mom uh this was a 20 years ago almost 20 years ago where like the football season's over what do we do on a sunday (laughs) and and a theater in philly was showing all three godfathers like let's go see that let's do that so we actually we did all three so and i've read not just the book. I've read that book several times, the Puzo original, but I've read the sequel novels. I've read making of books, you know. So, like, I, I hate to say it, I was like, if you're gonna do the Godfather, you can't do it without me. <laughs> I, you know, let it be said. But I, I just, you know, it's it's one of those things where I, I have to be involved in some capacity because mm-hmm. I, I love it so much. I'll bring the I'll bring the passion for it and the love and the care and. And I, I got to work with Dan Goldwasser on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we made it. I think I think we made a really a terrific album, and it, it was a joy to go through. It was amazing to go through. Did you have the original soundtrack album, the original Godfather soundtrack album?
1: I did not. It wasn't okay. quite on my radar.
2: because I know, because I was kind of there when you got introduced to these movies.
1: Yes, that's true. <laughs> I,
2: I watched Godfather Part Three with you the day before I met my wife. Oh gosh! Wow. Yeah.
1: was it really the day before yeah sure was interesting so
2: uh so the the original godfather soundtrack yeah for whatever reason never sounded very good okay it was just i don't i don't know what happened so when we got the material and i started listening i was like what what did they do (laughs) this is this is stunning this sounds amazing to me ton of unused music in the godfather so that was fun to figure out and dan actually made some videos for us to reference of this unused music and it syncs perfectly with the film like that's it that's how it
1: goes so um, it wasn't like a revised cue went there just no cue no went cue
2: would go yeah it Wow. Was pretty it was pretty surprising how much music they dialed out of the film and and is now debuting on this release See, even, the the thing even, I... the original, even the original soundtrack album had music that is not in the film. Wow. You know, the pickup is on there, and it's like, well, what does that go to? And now we know.
1: And there's no argument about the film working dramatically, like the scenes work <laughs> without it. So... Yeah. No, I think the movie
2: functions perfectly well as it
1: is. Do you think, like, in seeing those scenes with the music, that it detracts at all from what's from what's it's, happening? It's tough to say, because we've been watching these movies for
2: you know, our whole lives to suddenly yeah. introduce this new element to it.
1: Just it's very jarring. So I guess Coppola, did he have it scored more wall to wall?
2: Well, not necessarily wall to wall, because, you know, it's a 50 minute score for a three hour film. There was you know, like the whole Luca Brassi gearing up and going out and and, and Brando, you know, getting the car pulled up, all, all that was scored. Hmm. It doesn't really need music. And the music that was written for it is a little peculiar, for, you know, when you, you know, in the context of the rest of the picture.
1: Hmm. That is fascinating. I mean, but it doesn't detract from where the music is used and it wasn't a reflection on, you know, uh, the composer and his work just dramatically. It took away from those scenes. It's interesting when that works, how that works in a film, me being, you know, the fan of like, well, I, the fact that the music is sometimes the most important part of a movie for me, but when I can look at it and go, actually, you don't need any music there. It's quite powerful that th- that a film doesn't need it.
2: I know, it, despite us loving this music so much and these composers.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you had some surprises for you with Tons this. Tons of
2: surprise! Tons of. I'll give you a big surprise. Okay. Big surprise. The opening trumpet, which is you know opens the film, mm-hmm. and then is on the original soundtrack album three times, is two takes. Ah. Huh. I, 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 Utterly, I was completely stunned by that. I, I was sat down. And I was like, okay, we check this out. I was like, well, this part matches, but this this this, this performance doesn't. So, oh my gosh! They actually edited together two perform two trumpet performances to make that iconic opening.
1: And it's solo. It is. Yeah. Yeah. That's tough.
2: So, I was really, I was, I was, I, you know, and it was one of those, it's the opening of the movie. It's the first thing I'm editing. And I was like, okay, this is a, this was a bear. <laughs> What's the rest of you? What, what do you have for me? What do you have in store for me now? Soundtrack. Well, and it,
1: yeah. And to, to, to think, like you said, the sound quality has changed so much. I mean, it wouldn't even be noticeable, I guess, but it's, you know, back in the 70, wait, 72 yeah yeah um yeah
2: so that was a that was a thing and then uh going back to the sound quality this was you know to me you know this is the Godfather you do not mess with the Godfather <laughs> and you don't screw up the Godfather this is one of the greatest films if you know of all mm-hmm possibly the greatest film who knows (laughs) and so um dan and i would listen to it chris malone did the mixing on it um and we had feedback and then we brought it to doug schwartz to master and this this, i've never actually had a collaboration quite like this before where and i said I, i i you know i said this is the godfather we are going to get this one to be just right mm-hmm. and Doug made some terrific suggestions for Chris to go back and remix mm. and ask for a little bit more of this a little bit more of that and really try to sculpt it and I sort of stepped back at that point because you can have too many cooks mm-hmm. and I realized okay I don't want to mess with this we we've got you know two great we got a great mastering engineer we got a great mixer let them hash this out, listen to it, and and make sure it's good. And it was, and I think we even sent it off to Zoetrope prior to the final master. Just say this is the direction we're going in. You know, what do you think? And we got it all approved. And because it, like you're just not, I'm not, not going to screw around with the Godfather.
1: No, no, and I and that was it, it when you mentioned Zoetrope. I was like, oh, I didn't even think about this. Would you have what your approvals process would be through yeah. Duetrop and Coppola? Yep. And so they're aware of this.
2: I have an email that says approved.
1: Oh no! Nice. And I can remember,
2: and I can remember exactly where I was when I got that email. I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Because <laughs> 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 yeah, because it's the Godfather. I was and, gonna uh, say
1: it's like hearing from the Godfather himself.
2: with zoetrope he's worked that's, on apocalypse now yeah he, that's he, true. a david chires score yeah and, you know, terrific help
1: so i wanted to touch on those three three of the titles from Verez Saraband. um if it's all right to switch gears sure okay and if i forgot anything we can certainly circle back
2: yeah what were the titles from Verez again oh yeah of course i know
1: that. uh Death Becomes Her, Alan uh-huh. Vestry, L.A. Confidential, Jerry Goldsmith, and uh, uh, Presumed, Presumed Innocent. Presumed Innocent. I, a little-known composer, John Williams.
2: Yeah, that guy. I'm actually <laughs> wearing a John Williams
1: shirt. Wow. I didn't bought even the, notice that. Bought it
2: at the Hollywood Bowl.
1: That's incredible. Boy, I wish I had a video component to this thing.
2: <laughs> in, in 2019.
1: That's a really cool-looking shirt. I did yeah, I like
2: this shirt a lot. They, wow. they They were official shirts. They were for sale there. I was like, oh, I got to have it.
1: It's funny, with Presumed Innocent, it was one of those albums I bought on cassette back in 1990 and never yeah. updated to the CD. So I had not revisited that music in decades. Was that one that you were familiar with, the theme or- I, knew, it, that, I knew the theme. And I, I you know it's so weird to think that that was a
2: summer 1990 film. Like, it's just weird to think that there was a time when an adult drama could be released as a summer film. And, not and only made, that, like a hundred million dollars.
1: Yeah. It's and incredi- it's not
2: indiana jones yeah you know? i went to see it because i like harrison ford exactly but that movie is not indiana jones but yeah and it was this it was a success and it was a summer film and we don't get those anymore
1: The score again is in that vein of Williams' music, where it's more small scale, or it's very much based around one theme, where which has multiple parts. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting from that that regard. That again, a difficult project, or was it just sort of all the elements were there? It was very sad. It was
2: a very satisfying project. I was happy, happy to, to be involved with it at the time, because you know Mike Medicino is the Williams guy, but he was you know in the middle of Star Trek. Mm, the motion picture. Right. And so, and I think they even gave him the materials for this on the dubbing stage for Star Trek. And there just (laughs) wasn't time. And so I was, you know, completely honored that he entrusted me to, you know, do the editing for, for Innocent. I was like, can you do it? like, yeah, absolutely. Happy to. And I was like, wow, (laughs) I'm getting to do, you know, this Williams, you know, you know, Mike is entrusting me with this. So it It was very flattering. And, uh, it was, a, it was a decent amount of work, uh, figuring out film versions, album versions, doing the new sequencing, um, hearing where the performance changes were because you know I, I, it's you know it's it's not the loudest score, mm-hmm. so it, it doesn't really stand out at times. So trying to listen to the movie and hear what's happening and, and get it right, and then there was a little bit of uh, some restoration on my end and, and making sure that our stuff sounded as good as the album and and going through it. And, you know, Mike did the the final mastering on it. Um, And I I think it turned out really well. And I was happy that, you know, the score is short enough that we could include tracks from the album, you know, the the suites or the takes and allowed us to say, it's all here. Again, this is just my philosophy. You get that presumed innocent. It's all there. It's all in one release. You can listen to the score from the film proper, or you could, resequence it and listen to the soundtrack album with those performances and, and those takes and, and, and those you know combinations and so I'm, I'm very happy with that with that project. that's being done now by, by mike and on, and and get pres- preserving these scores and presenting them he's doing a great job so to, so to be asked to do you know to be entrusted with presumed innocent was, was very flattering and i think it turned out okay
1: it's it's an incredible thing to be a part of as far as like in a way i mean i'm glad we still have williams with us but documenting sort of his life in music documenting his in his life in film music in a in a in a complete capacity like it's it's not the curated version you're presenting all of his music and to be able to do it across so many projects is is historical in a way um i,
2: I still think somebody should go ahead if, if not williams somebody should go ahead and do a, a series of his work you know his uh concert hall pieces yeah and do a and, and, and get them all compiled in one place and and you know do all new fresh recordings and do a whole series like you know like you know you get beethoven mm-hmm. symphonies or you
1: know oh do gosh all,
2: do it all would, the williams stuff
1: yeah and it would be great because like who's like the the boston pops the current keith Phillips? keith lockhart keith lockhart sorry yeah he did such a great album of those not always recorded film yeah. yeah and i feel like he's he seems to be a real champion of williams and like maybe he could do something like yeah, that Yeah,
2: some, some, someone should do it
1: yeah no. uh well we'll hold out hope for that. Yeah. <laughs> um but moving on to to the other the the two other Verez albums what was it like working on uh death becomes her was that uh, a joy uh troublesome <laughs> it was a dream
2: death becomes her was sort of a troubled film and uh it had Tracy Ullman was completely cut out of it
1: which i didn't know about i think until reading the notes
2: right she was supposed to be in it and by the way al kaplan wrote those notes he is a he is the zemeckis silvestri uh authority yeah so when this became a project i reached out to perez and i suggested him and said here's here's the guy to write the notes. I'm very happy that he got to do it. And he's very happy to do it too. So I knew this was a troubled production. We've never seen the footage outside of the trailer, mm-hmm. but she was supposed to tie into the original ending of the movie. He was supposed to, Bruce Willis was supposed to go off with her and the original ending takes place 27 years later mm-hmm. in Switzerland. And he's older, except his hand isn't. Hmm. And uh Meryl Streep and Goldie Hawn see them, you know, and they haven't, an, or I guess they're, I think they're falling up. I, I, I don't know. Look, I've never seen the ending. No one's seen this ending. But, but this was, this was the original ending of the picture, and then they, they changed the ending, and and uh, Tracy Owen was completely cut out. You don't have the, though you do have a picture of Bruce Willis at his funeral, and that picture is from the deleted section. Right. So how does this tie into this release? Well. We were sent the box scans for the music. And I could see it was very there were a lot there were a lot of sessions. And there were some early sessions. And it didn't look like anything from those early sessions was used for the final film. Because what happened was we had two or three final mixes, final takes on another reel. And I went through that reel and I went, yes, this is this is the reel we need. This is that's the one that transferred so we don't have to transfer all the mountains of other tapes, except I was cataloging the cues on there, and I went, okay, this goes up to, I think it was 13M1, Real 13 Part 1. But if I looked back at the early session tapes, there was a 13M2. And I hmm. went, that's the original ending. Hmm. It has to be. It's nothing else that that could be. And I said, okay, so let's transfer this tape of all these mixes, these final mixes, and then let's also transfer this tape that has a, a circle for 13 M2. And sure enough, that's what it was like, oh boy, what a what a find. That was it. Seriously. But you had to you had to know the history of the film and then go through all the paperwork and look, look at the takes and figure it out and, and go. There it is, that's the one I want. When I say early, when I say you know early takes, this was a movie that came out at the end of July, and the early sessions were the beginning
1: of June.
0: Mm. <laughs>
1: they were oh, wow. recording, yeah,
2: they recorded right up to you know sometime in July. Okay, um, I think they did. Again, this was last year, so someone's flip frantically flipping through the booklet right now, going, uh no, they stopped recording." <laughs> I was like, uh, okay, whatever." <laughs> All they want to do uh, is fact
1: check you. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, Neil, you anyway they won't find you on social media though
2: (laughs) they can't they can't find me i'm not there don't look uh but but yes that was that was the real the real thrill was like knowing that we we did the research and we were able to present because even like i said the footage i don't know if it even survives shout factory when they announced that they were doing a special edition disc i was like what a great opportunity to include the footage couldn't Mm -hmm. find it It always surprised me that that was one that was sort of overlooked for a special edition. Even going back to the DVD era when it came out, it was only full screen. It wasn't even widescreen. And I was like, geez, this is a perfect film for Laurent Boussereau to do a documentary for. He's doing all these other Universal films. This one is in need of a widescreen transfer. Or you know an anamorphic widescreen transfer. Why not go back and revisit? It's got terrific effects. Mm-hmm. You know it's, it's Robert Zemeckis who is you know whose next picture was Forrest Gump. It's it's all these great people. And it just never happened. So when a, a special edition just finally did happen, it didn't have the footage. And I just I just wonder where that footage is. And but at least we have the music now.
1: death becomes was a real surprise. Again, one of those that, you know, I I think it was a short album, I think, or 30, 35 minutes back in the yeah. day. So again, great to, you know, supplement it with, you know, more of that material. Yeah. Uh, I was really, yeah,
2: I was really happy to work on that. I was working on that at the same time as the Rambo set. Oh, okay. I can remember that day specifically. It was like my Rambo CD showed up for reference. I was
1: working on death becomes there as a whole, it's all stuff going on. Yeah. But, but very disparate projects, you yeah. know, um, now, then the other, the last Verez title um, that I, you know, I didn't know that you had worked on until we were talking, but LA Confidential. You didn't know I
2: worked um, on that? My name's twice, is twice on the back. T- of oh, the back sorry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you'd think I'd pull the CD off my shelf. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And instead I'm going, you know what, you know what, what I appreciate about La La Land's website is that on the track, on the description, they will list oh, right. in and Verez won't. And so I'm like, oh, I got to go to the shelf to get the I CD. That's like a baby's toy. you gotta use your
2: hands
1: (laughs) i was lazy and i'm sorry
2: that's a fine that's fine (laughs) that's fine yeah i did i did work on Like confidential
1: yeah that was one where again it when it was announced i had this thought of like okay, I, again, appreciate any Goldsmith album that gets a deluxe expanded edition. I didn't remember there being much extra music. I didn't wasn't aware of, like, alternates or anything that, that it had, revi- that there were a lot of score revisions to to cues. So for that one, I mean, I guess, did that, were you dealing with, you know, a lot of material to go through with that one?
2: Not necessarily, no. Uh, Goldsmith was, he had a good crew. He had, you know, Bruce Botnick, mm-hmm. and he had Kenny Hall, the music editor, and Kenny kept great notes. Uh, Goldsmith tended to like getting things in one take. He tended to like getting everything live in the you know in the mix. That's you know like we were saying you know, the synth. Mm-hmm. So if you have terrific notes, someone who wants it all in one performance, who doesn't want you know a cobbled together thing, he wants it all together, and you have these terrific recordings and occasional remixes. They're a joy to work on because, I, I, again, I understand the methodology and I can I can figure out what they were thinking. And, and, put, and so I can present this music in the way that they wanted, it, you know, for the film. And so with 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 L.A. Confidential, there, we had we had the takes. Um, I'll, I, I will go back and talk about that in a bit. And we had the mixes and we had, you know, the the performances. And so, and, and we had a nice, again, like Tomorrow Never Dies, there was an isolated score. Right. So if I could match that, I knew I'd be matching the performance because it just came right off the stem. So it was it was very easy to uh, determine the takes. Um, it was it was fascinating to learn that. Uh, I mean, did anybody know that the the opening of uh, Bloody Christmas was different in the film than it was in the album? I never knew that.
1: I did not either, and I was going to ask about that. You know, I, in I, terms I, of recording or just in, mic instruments dropped. I guess no.
2: It was a separate. Rec- they did the they did the full take, and that's what's on the album. So the album reshuffled a little bit when the when the percussion comes in. That, that get that did get a little edited in there, and then they did the pickup opening for the film, which got rid of the band in the background. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I never knew. That. I was like, "Well, the first cue is <laughs> edited together. Okay, here we go. Let's let's go with it." that were different performances and the way this has been sent to me i was sent the selected takes i didn't have everything i only had these takes and then uh when i was comparing the film to the album i would be like okay the album is different here but i don't have that take but i have the paperwork so then i was like looking at i go okay i need the following takes this this and this and sure enough those were the takes I needed. And I was like, okay, now I know what's on the album and I know it's in the film and I, I can present this information, you know, for approval and then and get through it. And
1: it worked out well. Yeah. And again, it's, it's, it's a, it's a listen where when I, when in going through the film versions, I was reminded again of the film versions of his score for Outland. And that mm. I feel like there are the album versions that are drastically different where it could be the instrument that was carrying the melody is just dropped in the film or, the, or that version of the cue, they cut the trumpet or they cut whatever because they wanted to take out, they wanted to strip out elements of the music so it didn't feel as full, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I was reminded of that listening to the film versions of LA Confidential that Hanson was like taking out elements almost to bring the music down to like a bare bones level. It's
2: it's a very modern score in that way and it's modern... Um... I guess in some of in some of the spotting maybe, mm-hmm. um, though I guess I mean movies today are, have, have a ton of music and that one doesn't have a lot of music at least not score it also has songs you know yeah has a lot of songs in it, um, but it felt you know because if you look at the album assembly you know for the original soundtrack album, there are a lot of short cues that are combined and it really works well the the main title is is a combination you know the bloody Christmas is a combination of two cues yeah so right off the bat. And now I mean and they're disparate, but on the album worked.
1: so unique to the film music business and the soundtrack business that you could have these alternates that provide different listening experiences i know it's it's it is unique
2: to this world
1: well and and while we're on the top of goldsmith i i guess i should before i forget you know and maybe to maybe to wrap things up as well since i have kept you for a while but um i should i would like to return to the burbs uh, you know or at least mention because i that was not title from Lawland land as well part of their black friday batch um which seemed to have got a lot of attention uh Mm -hmm. from the fan community so as far as working with the burbs is there anything you're able to share about that that
2: process well i I never you know we 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 have a note in it that basically will explain what i'm saying now but prior releases of the burbs came from a dat and i didn't go into all the detail about it but it was interesting the dat said the burbs and that's all it said (laughs) Usually, you know, on a tape, there would be a breakdown, you know, 1M1, these times, 1M2, these times, you know, and, and and indexes for the DAT, you know, track one, right, because you can index that. So, like, you can fast forward to index four, and that would be a, a cut in a track. But there was none of that. There was nothing on that DAT. To make it even more confusing, there were no vocal slates on the DAT. So, <laughs> it would literally be the main title, and then it would go into the next track. And then it would go into the next track, so there'd be a pause between them, but there were no, there was nothing to identify, it. and so in some cases you had two performances of a cut, but you didn't know what the takes were, you didn't, you didn't know anything, and it, so it actually led to some confusion because there, there's a whole, there are three cues in a row, and I think one of them wasn't on the DAT, but two versions of another cue were, hmm. so. Things got misidentified in this section of the film, which got very confusing, (laughs) you know, and trying to explain it. So what happened was, you know, there had been an expanded album, there had been an LP release, there had been a digital release of the Burbs, and then it came time for us to do the Burbs, and I'd had the DAT, and I'd actually done the check uh, against the DAT of the digital that was for sale. I was asked, can you make sure that these digital files are correct i was like well i really don't have anything it was sort of courtesy so i just put the dad in and lined everything up and i looked at it and went that's right everything on this dad is on that release You're, you're golden you're golden when it came time to do the soundtrack album for for um la la land and it was a project i did my usual thing which is put it up against the movie I took the dat and put it, and I figured, well, it's the dat and it's everything, and put it against the movie. I was like, oh no, <laughs> that's different. That's missing. Where's this? That takes different. I was like, oh no, it's a whole thing, and and I, there's stuff that that's not on that. Suddenly, there's stuff that's not on the dat. What's going on here? Well, it turns out the dat was mostly complete, but not complete from for sessions that were the end of November and the beginning of December, of 1989. And that was the bulk of the scoring <laughs> sessions. I had nothing to do with that. Bulk, <laughs> it's a word. And so. It's, allowed. it's Yeah, thank you. But there was a pickup session at the beginning of July, uh, excuse me, in the beginning of January, 1989. And that's where all these other little bits and pieces were, hmm. you know, new versions, inserts, they were all, you know, obviously they, they had mixed and looked at it and went, oh, we'd have to redo this. Let's so he did a pickup session, and as that pickup session so that wasn't there. So, Mike Maticino went th- went through Universal's uh, inventory and found the two-inch scoring masters that had Bruce Botnick's original three-track LCR mixes for the burbs, and it was everything, and it was everything. It was everything and more.
1: January of nineteen ninety? Eighty nine. Of eighty nine, sorry. Okay. Yeah. So the record the original recording dates were in November, December 88. 88. And then they okay.
2: went to 89. And the movie came out in March.
1: Got it. Which okay. by the
2: way, I, I even remarked to Joe Dante about this uh on another podcast. Uh-huh. Sorry. <laughs> that's
1: <all right. laughs> We hopefully we're all friends.
2: Yes, yes, of course. <laughs> but I found it interesting that um the movie came out in March eighty-nine and Corey Feldman in it wears a Batman shirt oh. because if anybody remembers Summer 89 Batman was everywhere but this movie you know did it jumpstart it? did it was it Was it in the zeitgeist already? Mm. Um, I mean I know Batman doesn't exist you know it, it, it's popular Batman has always been popular but I don't really remember people going around wearing Batman shirts until the 89 movie and yeah. here's a movie from 1989 and there's a character wearing a Batman shirt
1: that is quite prescient that it, yeah, he really anticipated is. that trend it sure did hilarious yeah <laughs> well i know since we're we've we've i think we're running uh we're coming close to the end of our time what yeah i know i, I don't want to keep you too much longer yeah. but i definitely appreciate all your time oh
2: well, my pleasure i'm happy to chat with you
1: same same i'm glad we can do these um these recaps of the we year. get
2: requests we get re- I, at least i get requests it's like, are you gonna do the, the year in review with Brian? I love listening to those.
1: Oh, That's it's awesome. Thing. It's a thing. Aww, People well, love Inside Track. I'm happy to hear that. Do you know that this episode, Inside Track, <laughs> this episode, if I if I get everything done in time, this will be episode 50.
2: And what a milestone.
1: It's 50th in my 50th year. Ah <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's 50 on 50. I, it's, well, it's, well here's to episode 100. 100. Let's see if I get there. Well, I appreciate it, Neil. This wraps up my conversation with soundtrack album producer and editor Neil S. Bulk. Muchas gracias to Neil for participating today and expounding on some of the fantastic albums he produced during 2022. The albums we discussed in this episode can be found online at La La Land Records, Quartet Records, and Varese Saraband, respectively. For anyone new to the show, these are soundtrack labels that offer many memorable and popular titles to choose from. I also want to thank everyone for listening today. As always, I hope you found it both informative and entertaining. Oh, and regarding my anecdote on The Grinch, I mentioned that the young actress who played Cindy Lou Who had been motivated in working with composer James Horner on her song for the movie that she ultimately started her own punk rock band. I blanked on the actress's name during this chat with Neil, but had to correct here and mention that it's Taylor Momsen, so my apologies everyone. Music heard in today's episode included excerpts from First Blood, Rambo First Blood Part 2, Rambo 3, L.A. Confidential, and The Burbs, all composed by Jerry Goldsmith, Tomorrow Never Dies by David Arnold, Mary Queen of Scots, the 1971 version, and Chaplin, both composed by John Barry, The Godfather, music by Nino Rota, Dr. Seuss, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, the 2000 live-action version, composed by James Horner, Death Becomes Her, composed by Alan Silvestri, and Presumed Innocent, composed by John Williams. If you'd like to send any comments or questions, you can email the show at a score to settle podcast at gmail.com. Find the blog at a score On Facebook, at facebook.com a score to settle. And on Twitter, at score to settle pod. That's score the numeral two, settle pod. If you listen to the show by way of Apple Podcasts, feel free to leave a rating and a review. That's always appreciated. And everyone stay safe out there, and thanks again for listening.